You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. That's right. Well, I was, I was saying I was getting wrecked because the worship was so good and the band and the worship leaders were so good. And gosh, the songs, I love a good song. That song, the, the Goodness by John Mark McMillan, gosh, dang it. It gets me every time. Uh, well, let's pray and then I'll begin. Uh, when we were, when we were in, during worship, I felt like I was just hearing the Spirit say, be anxious for nothing. So what I want to do right now is uh, just lead us in a prayer where we can uh, trade our anxiety for non-anxiety. It's pretty good, right? I I heard from a friend this week talk about he was, uh, his his goal in life was to be a non-anxious presence everywhere he went. I had never heard about it in terms like that, I always feel anxious inside of myself. And, and I realized after he was saying it, when I go places and I stand in different rooms, I, a lot of the time I emanate anxiety. I think we do that. We don't know we're doing it when we're doing it, but I think one of, part, part of growing in love and growing in Christ is that we're learning to trust the love of God to the degree that we take on his love within ourselves and we become non-anxious presences in the world that we inhabit. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that right now, not in the future, but right now, we can give you our anxiety, and so we do. In this moment, we hand over any anxiousness that we're carrying in our body, in our heart, or in our mind. And Lord, we just we lay it at your feet, And in exchange for that anxiety, we take on your peace. We take on your peace that passes all understanding and we ask that it just consumes us right now. And in that peace, Father, that you would ready us, ready us for hearing your word this morning. We want to submit ourselves to your word this morning as your disciples and we ask you to bless our ears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My sermon this morning is called No Fear in Love. It's going to seem very obvious, very simplistic to you maybe. But um, when I was praying this week and asking what the Lord wanted me to share, uh, I felt like he just was pushing me towards, well, in my own life, learning how to love better, more, um, and so uh, what I'm about to give you this morning is, is stuff that I really feel like the Lord is leading me into. So uh, I want to start by telling you a story, actually. Uh, it's not my story. I didn't write the story. But one of my favorite writers in the world is a short story author named Flannery O'Connor. And she did most of her work in the 1950s and 1960s. And she was a... Uh, kind of like a Southern Gothic writer. 
Uh, her, her use of, of violence is kind of legendary. Um, but the fascinating thing about Flannery is that she really loved the Lord. And in a lot of her work, what she does is that she, she expresses the love of God by showing the opposite of it. She kind of draws people's attention to their need for love by expressing or, or, or being explicit in images that are the exact opposite of that. So in, in uh, this short story that she wrote, she tells the story of a little boy in 1950s rural South who has already succumbed to great misunderstandings of who God is. The short story is called The Turkey. And it is the short, tragic picture of how we so easily fall prey to stories about God that are not true. In the tale, we witness the little boy overhearing his parents telling each other what a strange little boy he is and that they don't know what to do with him and they openly reject him in his strangeness. We witness the little boy's grandmother instilling in him a vision of God's impending wrath upon him if he fails to be a good boy. We see his inner imagination warped and permanently formed by his grandmother's understanding of God's punishment coming for people who do not behave. The grandmother's version of God becomes the little boy's version of God. God is a transactional being. If you behave, then maybe you'll be blessed. If you act right and do right, then maybe you'll be loved. And so in this story, we witness the little boy stumble onto a chance to prove to his mother and father and the rest of the family that he has proven his worth and that he has finally achieved something great and acceptance will finally be his. The little boy gets the chance to do something so wonderful that his family will look past all the reasons that they have to be ashamed of him. They will finally at last love him. The young boy is playing by himself in the woods somewhere. And he crosses paths with a turkey who has been wounded by a hunter but has escaped capture. The little boy sees the turkey and realizes that God has given him a chance to bring home a substantial meal for his poverty-stricken family if he can just lay his hands on it. Won't they be proud of me? Won't they be glad to see me? the little boy pursues the turkey with everything that is in him, not just as a provision, but as a chance to finally be loved by the very people who do not yet love him. He prays and he prays and he asks God to give him just this one thing. He begins to make deals with God. God, just let me have this turkey and I won't waste my life being bad. He imagines that maybe he'll even become a preacher. He asks God to put a beggar in his path so he can give his one and only dime away. All he wants is for the transactional God to hear his prayer 
give him what he longs for, and in exchange, he'll give him the rest of his life. And lo and behold, after a series of fortunate events, and with great effort, he captures the turkey. Oh, the ecstasy. With the turkey slung over his shoulder, he begins walking home, imagining the adulation that he is about to receive. He can just hear them now. They'll be so proud of him. They'll be able to eat for a week. Then they'll say, little boy, we're proud of you. We love you. Aren't you clever and strong? He couldn't stop thinking how wonderful and fair God had finally been with him. He began to think about how God had heard his prayers and done right by him. He began to imagine all the good deeds that he would do because God made his dream come true. And he really did want to make good on his deal with God. But just like that, out of nowhere, the little boy is surrounded by a group of bigger kids. They ask to see the turkey. And the little boy, so happy and proud of his treasure, gladly hands them his prize, thinking they're there to just admire his great accomplishment. But they turn and they walk away with the turkey in their hands, leaving behind the little boy empty-handed with no chance at procuring the love that his heart had so desperately needed. And the final paragraph of this story goes like this. They were in the next block before the little boy moved. Finally, he realized that he could not see them any longer. They were so far away. He turned toward home, almost creeping. He walked four blocks and then suddenly noticing that it was dark, he began to run. He ran faster and faster. And as he turned up the road to his house, his heart was running as fast as his legs. And he was certain that something awful was tearing behind him with its arms rigid and its fingers ready to clutch. Many of us are like this little boy. We have believed a story about God that is not true. For many of us, the God we believe in is like the God in this Flannery O'Connor story. He is a transactional being. If we apply the right principles to our life, then God will bless us. If we do the right things, then God will do well by us. If we pray the right prayers and sing loudly enough, then God will finally appear and make our feelings of restlessness and longing go away. If we become lovable, then he will love us. So we work every angle trying to convince him to come over here and finally be with us. But my message today is very simple. God is not gone he is here. God is not transactional. He is relational. And that relationship rises on his goodness alone. 
and he is totally and completely good. It is his great joy to know you and he enjoys revealing himself to you. God is not waiting for you to summon him. He is already pouring out his grace and pleasure upon you. His love is not being withheld. All the love that is in his gentle and lowly heart is already yours. What we believe about God matters. If we believe he is the God of the transaction, we will always be working deals with him so that we can prove how spiritual and good we are so that he will bestow favor on us and finally give us breakthrough. But if we believe that he is the God who is always ever present and relational, we will finally stop judging his love based upon what does or does not happen in our lives. And we will be able to say with the apostle Paul, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I was in 1 John this week, in 1 John chapter 4. And this is the main text of what I want to preach from this morning. 1 John 4.18 says this, and I know you know this well, but maybe we need to know it a little bit more. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever is afraid has not been perfected in love. John is saying so simply, there is no fear in love. And yet in myself, I find that I'm still very much afraid. I'm afraid of being unimportant. I'm afraid of being insignificant. I'm afraid of being unseen, unheard, rejected, and left behind. I am afraid that I am not getting my fair share of the goodness of this life. And my fear, it comes out in different ways. I lash out in my anxiousness. I lash out in rage and anger. I lash out in my attempts to control others. I bring harsh criticism and judgment because I have undealt with jealousy and greed. So our inner lovelessness is a powerful force in the negative. What we carry on the inside of us, the world that is inside of us is the world that we carry into the world. 
And that's why it is so important and it's actually so wonderful when we stumble into seeing our extreme belovedness. Because when that happens, we can't help but see everybody else's extreme belovedness. You see the glory of God when you look at another person's face. You see in the other the very thing most cherished by God himself. If you'll notice the person next to you, you are literally seeing God's cherished beloved. That's crazy to think about. I'm not going to say turn to your neighbor, but you might just want to. The person, all the people near you, in all of their unloveliness, in all of their wrinkles, in all of their scars, in in their whatever degree of beautiful or not beautiful they may be, when you're looking into the face of the other, you are seeing the one God cherishes the most. I was raised Pentecostal. We were always looking for the glory. We were always waiting for a golden cloud to descend. I'll never forget the day when I was praying and I said, Lord, all I want is to see your glory. Just show me your glory. And the Lord said to me, you want to see my glory? Just look into the eyes of your neighbor. That is the truest, most radical representation of my glory. So here's the thing. It's God's aim that we come to know and believe the love that he has for us. We need to know that God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. God never meant for love to be our theory. He desires that love is both our experience and our practice. His love is where we live and it's what we do. We're always working from his love. It's not a place that we're going. Actually, I take that back. It's where we're living now and it's where we're going. But we can't always assume it's somewhere in the future. Our practice, our practice, our, the people in this room, the people who are a part of this church, Christians, our practice is love. This is what we're doing. Our practice is abiding in love. So the big question is, how do I abide in love? I thought about this for a long while this week. Okay, many, many books, I'm sure, have been written on this subject. I have not read hardly any of them, but I'm assuming they're out there. But when I was thinking about this, I realized this. All positive spiritual growth begins and ends simply with trust. How do I abide in love? Your starting place is trust. I must lean into trusting God. Trusting God is not something you muster up. It's not something that you grit your teeth to do. 
Trusting God is something you stumble into. Trusting God is you leaning into the breast of Jesus. Trusting God is you just fumbling your way into the radical generosity of Jesus. You can't formulate it. You can't, you can't, it's not a, it's not a, a problem to solve. It's just something that you stumble into. But it begins with a trust. And that trust oftentimes is simply just a yes. It's not even a yes with your mouth. It could just be a yes in your heart or in your body some way. You come to a point of anxiety. You come to face a person that you don't like. You come to a situation that is trying to breed frustration in you. That's the place where you practice abiding in love by simply saying, Jesus, I trust you in this moment to take me to a place that I don't know how to get to, but I know that you do. I actually think that all spiritual growth is trust. It's like, it's, it sounds so dumb to say it out loud because so many conferences and, and, and things are put on giving us the spiritual principles of how to achieve greatness. But it's, it's almost like the more time I spend with Jesus, it's, it's like just this downward. It's like, it's like, you know, have you ever been at the top of a hill and you start walking and running down the hill and gravity starts pulling you and you can no longer control your form and you're just like, you can feel yourself getting out of control, stumbling towards the bottom. That's what my relationship with God has been. I haven't gotten better and stronger and more and smarter and more clever to grow in him and in his love. It's like, it's like his gravitation is just pulling me down the mountain. I mean, that's why I so appreciate that lyric that John Mark wrote about the goodness of God is just simply an avalanche that you stand under. It's coming, baby. It's coming for you. Your only job is just to stand there and take it. That's what the goodness of God is. It's something for you to receive. And every little moment of insecurity and anxiousness and lashing out is just a place where the love of God is trying to crush, crush you. And that's the best place to be. So here's the thing. You have to radically trust God that you are totally worthy of love. A lot of people wake up in the middle of the night with shame on them. Not so sure that they're worthy of love. There's a lot of the songs that we sing in church talking about, oh, I don't deserve the love of God. You are literally created to receive the love of God. You are hardwired. You are, you are a hardwired walking nerve receptor for the love of God. This has nothing to do with deserving or not deserving. You are created to abide in the love of God. But there's, there's a lot of self-loathing and self-hatred and shame that people are stuck in. And how you get out of that is you begin to trust God radically that you are worthy of his love. He wants you to know that. You have to radically trust God that you are totally worthy of love, that all the people you see and encounter in this life are totally worthy of being loved as well. We can't affect the whole world, but we can affect our world. I can trust my heart to God that when I feel rejected, it's going to be okay. 
I'm not rejected. I'm loved. I can recklessly trust God that when I begin to feel feelings of frustration, I can stop and let the peace of God flood through my being. I can recklessly trust God that if I lash out, that I can quickly repent and make amends with anyone I've injured. Practicing repentance is radically trusting God. I can trust God that I don't have to withhold love from anyone. I can and should love people who are totally different than me, who have come to different conclusions about life than me. I've, I've underlined this next part in my sermon, so I really want you to get this, this next part. So if you're asleep, wake up for just a second. Oftentimes, we withhold love from people who have come to different conclusions about life because we are afraid that we will be on the wrong side of God. We are afraid that if we affirm someone in their humanity, that we will in some way be punished for it. But perfect love casts out all fear. If you're afraid of getting on the wrong side of God, then you're still growing in love. And that's okay because you have time to grow. But isn't that interesting? When I, when I was writing that, I realized how many people on my social media that I love to hate because they've come to different conclusions about life than me. How I actually, uh, I feel strongly affirmed in my Christianity when I oppose people who don't see the world the way I do. You know, that's where a lot of this practice takes place is on social media. We exercise our love muscles on these public platforms and we begin to cultivate hard hearts towards people in general. And we begin to categorize and file people in these, these categories where we assign levels of love to different people. All oh, the liberals have this amount of love. The conservatives have this amount of love. It's, it's, you know what I'm saying, right? It's like, it's kind of like our default mode. And God is trying to get people out of that categorizing default mode. All people, no matter their race, religion, creed, lifestyle, whatever, are people who are created in the image of God, created for love, to be loved by God and by you and me. And the things that we have going on in our mind that say we need to withhold love from certain people because of certain things is, is love that hasn't been perfected. John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. So, love is my frontier. Love is my frontier. Understanding that I am absolutely loved is my frontier. It's where I'm headed. Being able to love others no matter what is my frontier. I may not be there yet, but I'm on my way. Did you know that winning the culture war is not on God's agenda? 
Did you know that dominating the seven mountains of influence is not what God has called us to do? Did you know that God did not call us to solving every conspiracy theory that's lurking in the shadows? In fact, God has set you free and called you out of entertaining any kind of conspiracy theory whatsoever. God has set you free from conspiracy theories. He has set you free from being afraid of liberals. He has set you free from being afraid of conservatives. He has set you free from being afraid of doomsdayers. He has set you free from any kind of system of thought which thrives and flourishes on human fear. Know this. If you are part of perpetuating any kind of fear, you are missing the point of being a human being. If you are going to be what God created you to be, you are going to excel at love. You are going to love yourself the way God made you, the little life that he gave you, and you're going to turn all of your greed into gratitude, and you're going to set aside all judgment and prejudice, and you're going to practice love by trusting God that whatever person you're talking to doesn't need your opinion, they need your love. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love, why? Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Now that word brother could be a little problematic because You could see that term as an exclusive term or an inclusive term or yeah, an exclusive term. But really your brother is just anybody you happen to be passing on, on the street. The person that you want to flip off is your brother. You know, the lady that cuts you off at the mall is your sister. She's the person that you're supposed to Go the opposite direction that the world wants you to go in. I mean, the math goes like this. The grain of the world induces and justifies road rage. The grain of the kingdom God goes the opposite way of that. When somebody flips you off, just politely wave. Say hello. Say a prayer. You know, I'm being silly, but you know what I'm talking about. This is all very practical. You know, following God is very practical. There's a lot of stuff that you can actually do in your life to follow God. And all this stuff in 1 John 4 is really where it's at. It's like, it's like the baseline of our Christian experience. Loving people regardless of their current conclusions about life their current version of unloveliness. So the truth is this. So that you don't get this idea that I have some pie in the sky romantic ideal about love, you know, because we can get the wrong idea, right? Like, 
oh, he's talking about love. Just sounds like a hippie. Like the Beatles have a song, all we need is love. It's like, it sounds, it's, it's a little bit too trite. But the truth is that each one of you, myself included, each one of us, currently have a limit to our love, right? You're not God. You're not this all-encompassing love person. There is a limit to what you are able to do right now with regards to love. That limit, that limit to love is like a wall around you, okay? This is the place you are able to show love and mercy, up until this point, it's, it's the wall, it's the limit, okay? Is everybody going to acknowledge that with me? I have a limit to my love, right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. So here's the thing. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you past your current love limit. Wherever that wall is, wherever that limit, your, your growth the place you're going to grow is not inside those walls, but it's actually outside of those walls. The thing that you've got good at up until this point, the people that you've loved up until this point, that's your limit. And God is, le- it's not that he's over there and not over here, but he's wanting to adventure, discover with us past our current love limits. Beyond your love limits is your frontier. And your frontier is where all new discovery of God's wonder-inducing goodness is made. You can certainly live now within your love limits, but your love frontier is where God wants you to go. That frontier is where trust is most necessary. Within your walls, you don't have to really trust God, but outside those walls, you definitely do. You will have to rely on God's goodness rather than your own understanding, which is a little bit scary, and it takes greater degrees of trusting the Lord. Amen? Can you see that? All right. And the preacher said, in closing, and I'm actually going to close when I say that. Good news, y'all. Let's close with these words from Jesus found in Luke chapter 6. It goes like this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. The wonderful thing about this passage is when I read that for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, I actually see myself in that scripture. That's actually me. He's he's not talking about the sinners over there. He's talking about the sinners over here. 
This is such a good word for me this morning. God's love and kindness is overtaking me in my ungratefulness and even in my wickedness and my evil. I am 47 years old. I'm turning 48 this summer. I'm only a quarter of the way through my life, so I've got a ways to go. But I've been in this long enough to know now I'm realizing that the smarter I get, if, I, if I'm working, if I'm doing all my hard work in the intellect, it tends to puff me up. It tends to make me want to be seen. It makes me want to be heard. And that's all fine and well. But where the peace is, is actually to grow smaller. Where, where, where the, the satisfaction in knowing the Lord is, is really in learning how to live my little life and to become really grateful for whatever my life looks like. I, I was doing some writing this week and I was just sketching some things out and Amy and I, we often laugh because it's like life just, it's just like this never ending barrage of problems that you have to solve. It's like you get a hole in your roof. You got to repair your septic tank. You've got old cars that you're driving. It's like, you know, it's just like, that's just life. That's just normal life, right? Stuff happens. And that stuff can rub you the wrong way and, and you can stop being able to see how wonderful your life is. And so I've just been asking the Lord, Lord, every time something like the, a hole in my roof happens, let me send you prayers of thanksgiving. I just want to be thankful that I even have a roof that can have a hole. You know, I, I want to be thankful that I have a car that can have a flat tire. You know, all, all kinds of different perspective changes like that. But I, I'm, I'm just going to pray this morning to close out that there would be an ease that you discover to your life. I want you to have an easy life. I want you to have an ease in your relationship with the Lord. I want you to have an ease in your relationship with your spouse and your kids. If you're not married, I want you to have an ease in your relationship with your parents and your friends. And that ease that comes upon us, it's a gift from the Lord. And we don't have to spend the next 20 years doing the rain dance so that the Lord can send that ease to us. It's available to us right now. Amen. Isn't that good news this morning? Let me just pray. Father, we're so glad. We're so glad that your love is like an avalanche that falls upon us, that we don't have to earn it. Lord, we just pray for the blinders on our eyes that you would just open them so that we could see and cherish 
and look on in wonder at all the amazing people that you've created, who you've put in our lives, even the difficult ones, Lord, that those people are wonderful and you love them and you want to pour out your peace upon them. And Lord, we, we sit before you today so thankful and grateful for the lives that you've given us, for the achievement that you've, you've given us, for the works of our hands that you've given us, for the artistic creations that you've given us, for the ability to make an, earn an income. We thank you for these things, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would expand our grace horizons and that you would expand our limits of love and take us past those borders to where we'll have to trust you even in greater ways on how to love people, how to even love ourselves. Oh, you're so good, Lord. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 